Hi, ABC. Uh, my name is Sean. Thank you guys for, for tuning in. We're glad you guys are here. A uh, couple announcements before we jump into today's message. First is, uh, for those of you who grabbed an angel tree or an angel to uh, help provide a Christmas uh, this year, uh, those are due back this Sunday. So if you could try to package those up and get those back to the church office by the end of the day on Sunday, we would really appreciate that. And for you seniors out there, we're going to be hosting a senior breakfast this Wednesday. Uh, we're going to be featuring Jeremy Spears, who's a storyboard artist for Disney. I hope you guys will join that for breakfast. Uh, again, it's 9 a.m. this Wednesday uh, for our senior breakfast. That's anybody 50 and over can join us, and we'd love to have you guys there. We invite everybody to join us for our ABC Christmas party. I believe it's our fourth, third or fourth annual Christmas party here at the church. It's on Friday, December 16th from 5.30 to 7.30. We've got hay rides. We'll have ornament making, storytelling. We'll have some music and hot drinks and fire pits. Just an awesome time to just gather as a church, as a church family for Christmas and, uh, and kind of kick off the season. So we invite you guys to join us. Again, that's uh, Friday, December 16th from 5.30 to 7.30. I hope you guys have a great day. Well, good morning. Welcome to ABC. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Um, today is the first Sunday of our Advent series. And so uh, we're going to go through for the next three weeks, um, and then even uh, including Christmas morning, um, this idea of Advent. And the whole concept of Advent is arrival. That's um, this pointing to the moment when Jesus arrives. Uh, it's really the central theme in scripture. It's kind of the middle section of the whole Bible where Jesus comes on the scene at the beginning of the gospels. And so it's a big deal for us at ABC. We make a big deal of Christmas because it is the arrival of our savior, Jesus Christ, and everything hinges on the coming of Christ um, in, our, in our Bible and in our faith for that matter. So um, we're excited about this series. <clears throat> this morning we'll do the first kind of um, sermon in Advent. But alongside of that, uh, we wanted to mention that uh, we put together some Advent activities and some reflections. And so if you go on our website, abcchurch.org slash Advent, um, you'll find a calendar, an Advent calendar. And um, when you click on each one, a little chocolate's going to pop out of your screen. Just kidding. Uh, when you click on each one, there's going to be a reading or a reflection or an activity. So um, it may be something as simple as reading a passage of scripture and just reflecting on that. Um, it might be a guided prayer. Uh, it might be an activity like uh, sending a text or a phone call to a friend um, to check in with them. Um, just some ways to reflect and remember um, what this season is all about for us as a church. And so we hope you'll participate in that with us. Um, so again, we're going to uh, go through these concepts of Advent, hope, uh, next weekend, we're going to look at um, peace and then joy, and we'll finish with love. And on Christmas weekend, we have Saturday night Christmas Eve services at 5 and 7. Um, and then Sunday morning, Christmas morning, we'll have one service at 10 o'clock. And again, all focused on this theme of Jesus coming, the arrival, the advent of Jesus. And so hope you'll lean in and join us for a lot of the activities we have coming up this year. We're really excited about it. But let's jump in with this idea of hope. I want to show you um, what hope looks like, I think, for a lot of people. Um, imagine that, see, I've got a lot of dollar bills here. Um, I'm kind of rich. It's actually only like 12 or something. Um, but imagine uh, starting your life with a given amount of hope. And, and really, I'm thinking about kids, you know, and even young people kind of come up with a lot of hope. You've got hope in activities. And so you start putting down your hope in, in your experience or your activities thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm 
I'm, I've got hope in my education. Um, I've got hope in my relationships, maybe in my parents. At some point, you might have hope. You kind of pay out into your um, your spouse maybe once you finally get married. If you get married, uh, you, you have friends, you put hope in friendship, um, and you're just, you're dishing it out, right? You've got hope in material things. You know, maybe someday you wanna buy a car, um, and so you got kind of hope in that, and maybe you put hope in buying a house, or you got a bank account you wanna, so you pay out all this hope. At some point, um, some of those things maybe return back, and you think, well, that worked out, and I get some of my hope back, and, and maybe it's invested in other things, but the problem is, at some point in everybody's life, sometimes that hope gets dashed, where the thing that you put hope in somehow lets you down, whether it be a relationship, or a material thing, or an experience, that the hope gets cleared from the deck and all of the money, the hope bank that you had is depleted and those things didn't return back, they returned void. And so your hope has now been dashed. I know it's a real uplifting, positive Christmas message. You're welcome. Just uh, stick with me here. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you get back your hope and, and sometimes, you know, you put your hope in a relationship and that relationship materializes and it's fruitful and so... And so you, you see another opportunity for some more hope. And, and yet, I think for every single human being, there are times in everyone's life where your hope is completely depleted. For some of you today who are tuning in, we uh, turn on a, a message or we kickstart a series on hope. And for some of you, you think, I, I don't really want to talk about hope. I'm not interested because I'm there. I'm, I'm one of those people that's that's had my, my hope depleted. And I'm not really interested in talking about it because I don't have any hope. In fact, some of you might even say, you're allergic to hope. You're hope averse. Because every time you get your hopes up and then you're let down, it just continues this cycle. And so you're not interested in hope. In fact, you'd kind of keep it at an arm's length and say, I, I'm not interested in investing anymore in relationships or material things or experiences because those things just let me down. And so I'm going to withhold, withdraw. I'm not going to pay out my hope. But I want to introduce you this morning, wherever you're at on that spectrum, whether it's it's dishing out a lot of hope and, and seeing a lot of return and it's a joyful time of year because you're you're just living in the 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 blessing of what God has given you and provided for you. Those are great seasons and I don't knock that. Um, but if you're on the other side of the spectrum where you've just paid out a lot of hope and been let down and you, and you hear a, an Advent series to celebrate the coming of Jesus and the hope of the world and you think, yeah, but, but my life doesn't feel all that hopeful. I want to introduce you to a new type of hope this morning, a hope that transcends all of these circumstances that I've talked about, a hope that's hard to get, but it's impossible to lose. When all other hope is depleted, you'll still have this hope. Christmas is the advent, the arrival of true hope. Let's look at the advent of hope together this morning. I'm going to take you to a passage that uh, might surprise you uh, for a Christmas message. Um, it's the book of Job. And I want to, for a minute, just step into that hope depleted, hopeless, hard to imagine hope kind of state, because I want you to see 
that for Job and others in Scripture, it's, it's normal, that it's okay. And so first we're going to look at lost hope. And many of you who can relate to a lost hope. Uh, meet me in Job chapter 19, and I want to introduce you to his story. Many of you know the story of Job, um, but Job is a man uh, who had lost everything including hope. Let's look at a bit of his story. In chapter 19, I'm going to start reading in verse 7. Job says, Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my paths. He's stripped me from my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. In my hope has he pulled up like a tree. He's kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He has put my brothers far from me and those who know me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I've become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife and I'm a stench to the children of my own mother." Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I love have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Now, that's that's a bleak picture. Maybe maybe you can relate, and maybe you could say, man, Job's gone off the deep end, and and he certainly has. He's in the, the bottom the very, very bottom of the pit, as deep and as low as you could possibly go. Chances are you're not where Job's at today. Maybe, maybe you've been there or been close. When you see some of these lines, he's talking about people despising him or um, his, his uh, own siblings look at him as a stench. Um, he talks about how uh, his relatives have let him down, his close friends have forgotten him. He goes on and on. Maybe you can relate to that, but the, the reality is Job has paid out all of his hope currency and it's returned void. He's hope of adverse. If you don't believe me, look back at verse 10 where he says, my hope has he pulled up like a tree. This is it, hopelessness. Job's hope has completely been stripped away in this moment. This is a real guy with real words expressing real discouragement and frustration over his circumstance. But more importantly, God felt this for whatever reason. God felt this necessary and appropriate to include the story of this man named Job in his holy scripture so that several millennia later, you and I could look back and reflect on his life and sit in that moment of despair, that hopeless moment with Job, and ask ourselves, what is God trying to teach us through his story? He's going to turn the corner pretty soon, in fact, but we're not going to go there yet. That becomes probably the most important part of Job's story is when he begins to, to see the light, so to speak. But we're going to get there. But for a minute, I want you to sit in his pain, in the trauma of Job's life for a moment to help maybe for some of you to relate, others to identify with his circumstance, 
or even prepare you for a circumstance you may experience in your own life. Because when I read the book of Job, there are a couple things I, I understand, I, I realize. I hear him speak in terms of this physical pain of grief. He says in, in one um, chapter that his feet are tied to the ground like shackles. He feels heavy. Another chapter says that his soul loathes the choicest meal. He's lost his appetite, not even hungry. If I speak, he says, the soul is not relieved. Talking this out doesn't help. Maybe you can relate. I'm I'm grateful for this example because it points to the physiological response that our bodies have to grief and to trauma. He's tired. He has a lack of motivation a lack of desire, lack of appetite, not interested in talking through it or moving toward others in this case. I've heard people describe seasons of depression like an out-of-body experience, like you're looking on from the outside at your life playing out before you and things are just happening. You're not necessarily desiring things. You're not necessarily making things happen. You're just watching your life play out. A clinician would say that immobilization is actually a biological response, a protective response that your body engages with in the midst of trauma or stress or post-trauma stress. That you become immobilized, desensitized, and almost numb in that state to protect your body. It's a fight or flight reactive response. Uh, my friend Joe DeBruin is a Christian counselor in the area. He would say, the body doesn't lie. Although we could pretend like we didn't experience trauma or stress or pain or grief, the body doesn't lie. It says exactly what's gone on and what will continue to go on until you begin to stare that grief in the face, until you begin to look to the ultimate healer, the only one that can meet you in that grief. So there are these feelings of suppressed desire, suppressed motive, or detachment. It's the human condition on repeat cycle, and this is the case for Job. Hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment. At some point, I'm just going to stop hoping because I know I'll just be let down. So it's fair for Job to say in verse 10, My hope has been uprooted like a tree, ripped out of the ground. I don't have any hope left. But even Job finds hope at the bottom of his pit. And this is the most important part of the story. This is where the corner turns, and I'm so grateful for it. So what happens if we keep reading in Job chapter 19, verse 23, listen to what it says. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead. They were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, my heart faints within me. Job says, I wish my story were written down, which is kind of ironic because it is, and we're reading about it like thousands of years later. But he says, I wish my case could be stated, could be written in stone, so that before the judge, before the throne of the judge of the universe, that my case could be brought to justice, that it could be presented. And then he says in verse 25, for I know 
my Redeemer lives. I wish I could go to the court of justice for I know my Redeemer lives. And here's where Job turns the corner. If you read through the entire book of Job, chapter 19, verse 25, the whole thing hinges right here because he understands and he states this truth that although everything else has been stripped away, that all of his hope cash has been paid out and completely been wiped away, that he has no hope left, so much that he could say, my hope's been uprooted like a tree ripped out of the ground. Then he says, but I know my redeemer lives. Now, I don't know how he knew that. That's a mystery. I don't know if God revealed that to him. I don't know if he knew the, the name Jesus or if he would use the word Messiah, Redeemer, though. He knew that he had a Redeemer. And he says so clearly, if you keep reading on in verse 26, after my skin's been destroyed, after this is all done, I will stand before God, he says. In my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. He says, I will stand before God and I will stand before God with the Redeemer. He has a hope that if he were ever to experience justice, it'll happen in that moment. He's lost his hope in circumstance. Hope that he would ever experience some kind of justice in this lifetime, but not hope that he would eternally suffer. There was a redeemer that would speak a better word on his behalf after his life was done. And for that, he had hope. And he says, when my eyes shall see, behold, and not another, my heart faints. I appreciate the NIV says, my heart yearns. <clears throat> it longs. It's eager. It hopes for that day. My heart hopes for the day when I shall see God and my Redeemer who lives will stand before God, speaking a better word on my behalf, defending my case. But to Job, it, it took losing hope in all of the material things to get him there. It took a stripping away, letting down in some sense disappointment, discouragement. I think depression is a very fair word to use to describe Job's life in this case. But verse 25 is the advent of true hope where he says, but I, I know I have a redeemer and he lives and at some point I'm gonna see God and I will stand before God. And so my heart yearns, my heart longs for that day. I wanna introduce you to this true hope. This true hope is an earned hope. It's not something we, we start off our life with. It's not that, that money bank of hope that we all begin our life with. This is a hope that comes over time. This is a hope that can be gained and earned and produced even when all other hope has been depleted. You can add to this hope. So now I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter five and I wanna look at this hope earning process that's outlined for us in the New Testament as we start to think about what the true hope is. So this is the earned hope. In Romans chapter five, I'm gonna read uh, just the first five verses here. Um, not only that, actually let me start in um, verse two. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, Paul writes, 
We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. This is good news. It's a hard truth when you read it and think about the life of Job and what it took for him to get to the point of true hope. And then you read Paul's description of what true hope is and where it comes from. You realize that the crushing of pain, the stripping away of misplaced hope actually produces character. And that character has a byproduct and the byproduct is hope. So there's good news this morning for you. Good news in an Advent series, looking at the coming of Christ at Christmas. The advent of hope is here. If you've lost all hope, hope. And you look at a season like this and you think, what do I have to put my hope in? What do I have to enjoy or to celebrate when I think about the holiday season? The good news is you can gain hope. It's a different kind of hope though. And it comes with work and toil and pain comes with character. Character earns hope and characters developed in pain Character is developed in challenge, adversity, suffering. The very circumstance, in fact, the very thing, if you go back through Job's life, the very circumstance that depleted his hope, the things that were stripped away, is the very thing that will produce character in you, begetting hope. Above almost anything else in in our world right now, we value speed. Think about it. I mean, speed is is more important than almost any other core value of our system. Our life is best lived without traffic, in the fast lane, TSA pre-checked, 5G internet, podcast set on 1.25 speed, prime delivery, DoorDash delivery, direct deposit, supercharging stations, in and out drive-through. I don't have to go on. Fast, fast, fast. Give me what I want now. I want it fast. I want it quick. I want it affordable. I want it now. We live in a fast fast world. And so when we talk about the currency of hope and we exchange hope, we're paying out all of this hope and the things that we're hopeful are going to return for us. And then we want that hope back quickly. And when hope doesn't come back quickly, we get discouraged and we even despair. And we realize, what did I do with my time, my life, my investment? Where did it all go? And what Paul writes here is he says, lean in quietly Lean in slowly, lean in carefully to the seasons of hardship because hardship produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character does not come quickly. Takes a lot of time. It's a crock pot kind of character rather than a microwave kind of character. Slow cooked, overnight roasted not in the microwave. Romans 5 gives us this perfect picture, a clear path of the production of hope. Where do we get hope? Where does it come from? Suffering, Paul says, produces endurance. And he says endurance produces character and character hope. That's how you get true hope. That's where it comes from. There is a way to subvert this process if we're not careful to. Simply having hardship or suffering doesn't automatically mean you'll produce hope. There's ways to short circuit the process. One of those ways is by self-medicating. 
self-medicate a season of hardship or suffering, you can stunt the development of character. If you try to cover up the pain, numb the pain, distract yourself from the frustration or the grief that comes in a season of suffering, you will stunt your growth of character and character does not produce hope in that environment. Or if, if you ignore truth in a season of hardship, it can prevent the cleansing and the washing of our soul as we develop character lean into what's true to the truth of God's word. If you disengage from community, you can subvert the process of hope development. Community fosters healing. Isolation fosters bitterness. You won't grow in character if, if you simply hole up in isolation, bitter and alone and frustrated. Lean into others, lean into community. The advent of true hope, the arrival of true hope is here. And it delivers a promise. And that's one of the most exciting things of the passage. When we get to this point where Paul addresses the final and greatest fear that we all have if we're hope averse. For those of us that are allergic to hope because we've been let down too many times. Why should I hope now? I'm just going to be disappointed. Paul addresses those who are afraid to hope, who think they may be let down by simply saying, and this is my paraphrase, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, hope won't make a fool out of you. That's what he says. Listen, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Hope will not leave you stranded, not this hope. It's a slowly curated character, crafted hope that builds over time and it will not disappoint. It will not let you down. It's the advent of true hope. The hope of Christ really has very little to do with this lifetime. It really, it, it really transcends our circumstances when you think about it this way. And it's, um, it's not all that fun to think about. And, and if I'm being honest, uh, what, what you want to hear, what I want to hear, especially at Christmas time, we start talking about hope and joy and love and peace. In this season, we think we want peace and harmony in our relationships and in our home. We want hope for a bright future, whether that be career or relationship or family or opportunity. We want to have um, love surrounding us and we watch the Hallmark movie channels where the story goes the same every single time. They just cut and paste the script, put in some new characters and like flip the stage set around backwards and then play another movie. The same story plays out. It's a love story where everything works out in the end and it's beautiful and peaceful and there's harmony in relationships and they get all of the material needs met and everything works out just fine. That's the message that we long to hear, that we hunger to hear, especially at the holidays. We think that's what true hope is. That's what true joy and, and true love, that's what an Advent series should be about, a Hallmark one. And instead I took you to the book of Job. Because as I read it, when I walk through this passage in Romans chapter five, when I walk through Job 19, I see very little to do with the material blessing 
even with the relational peace that we think we ought to have at Christmas. Very little true joy comes from the material blessing, comes from the earthly provision or the materialization of a dream. It comes through perseverance in trial. The advent of true hope is to know that our Redeemer lives and that that matters more than any other circumstance in our life. To know, like Job says, Job chapter 19, verse 25, but I know my Redeemer lives. That's enough. That's where true hope starts to come. And we will stand before him when our flesh has failed, as Job says. And he will speak a better word on our behalf that all of the temporal wrongs may be made eternally right. See, the story of Christmas uh, comes into the, the Bible, comes into the timeline of events at just the right time. There was 400 years of silence. For 400 years, the people of Israel hadn't heard from God. They had lost all hope. They thought God stopped moving, God stopped speaking, God stopped directing us. They hadn't heard from God. And so Jesus comes, the advent of Christ, the advent of the Messiah. And he brings nothing that they thought he would bring. He didn't bring political um, leadership. He didn't overthrow the oppression of Rome. He didn't bring a whole bunch of material blessings like they experienced in Solomon's kingdom back in Israel in the Old Testament. He didn't bring any of that. They thought he was coming to conquer over all of their frustrations and their discouragements and all the material things that had gone wrong. And Jesus didn't bring anything. He brought the eternal hope of a living, breathing redeemer who would speak on their behalf. That's the story of Christmas. That's why we look at a message like hope this Christmas to understand that not only does our Redeemer live, but he came in flesh to dwell among us, Emmanuel, God with us, to experience trial, to experience suffering, to persevere, and then to show us a path forward to true hope. And ultimately, he would lay his life down as a sacrifice so that he could become what we call the propitiation for our sins, the atonement for our sins. He could become righteous for us so that we could be made righteous in him. That's the story of Christmas. And so for those who have lost hope, I invite you to the advent of true hope a new way to hope. For those that have hope in some of the things I alluded to at the beginning that are paying their hope dollar bills out, I warn you, I give you caution this morning. Be careful what you hope for. Be careful what you hope in. Because if it's not in the simple, true reality that your Redeemer lives, you will be let down. It's part of the human condition. And for us, Um, This morning that have embraced a faith in Jesus Christ, my invitation is to simply pause for a moment this Christmas and to say, above all else, I know my Redeemer lives and I will stand before God someday when my flesh fails 
and he will speak on my behalf. And for that, I have true hope. Let's pray. God, we are guilty. I'm guilty of placing hope in, in a lot of inappropriate, um, ungodly, unhelpful things. Lord, I've got, I've got a lot of hope, a lot of hope that things are going to work out. Hope for my family, hope for my future, hope for my church. And yet, Lord, I know <clears throat> what you want for me, what you wanted for Job, and what Paul is is helping us to see clearly is that in the hard things, in the difficulty, in the suffering, that's when you're producing our character and that's when true hope can grow. And so Lord, I ask that you would develop in us true character and true hope. I'm not asking for suffering. I'm not asking for for pain. I'm simply asking that you would use every circumstance in our life to develop in us character and that character would produce hope and that that hope would not fail us, would not let us down, would not disappoint. Give us that true hope this season as we look to you. The advent, the coming, the arrival of Jesus Christ, our true hope. In your name I pray, amen.